Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching in February 2024. Remember, the b2bincubator.com. Apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand journal roles, and content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategy that they created in it. Again, make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, we are well and truly into season five. This podcast, of course, is all about Kevin and I sharing our step-by-step framework for demand generation, the 5Bs framework. We spent the first four seasons really detailing the first four sections of it. We're now into the fifth and final one. They're called Be Ready, Be Helpful, Be Seen, Be Better, Be The Best. We're going to get into what they mean. But first, I want to talk about what we're discussing today. And that is about how you marketers can win more customers by using behavioral science to get your customers or your potential customers to take the actions you want. In particular, we're going to be looking at how you can use these two really cool principles called reciprocity and consistency and how you can leverage them to get better outcomes in your B2B marketing today. It's really playing a bit of mind tricks here, Kevin. We're leaning on some behavioral science and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, definitely an exciting one. I'm very curious about this particular area as we dive deeper into these further areas of study. And just a little bit more context for those listeners just recently joining us. Last season, we spoke at length about the fourth B in our 5Bs framework, Be Better. And before that, it was about be ready, be helpful, and be seen. These four Bs hopefully have set you up for success and ensure that you've really had the foundations in place for a little while now and you're really building those relationships of trust with helpful content and amplifying that content and optimizing your workflow in your B2B marketing. This season, as George said, we're covering the fifth B, Be The Best. And that's why this episode fits so perfectly into this season. We're talking about all things to do with making sure that you and your marketing stay evergreen and continue to be leaders in your industry. And in doing so, we hope 
that you start to see the five piece framework as something you can continue to use and iterate on to continue to deliver improvements. And one of those areas that we look at in this season is further areas of study that you can really deep dive in to keep you at the forefront of your industry. This episode, as George said, we're talking about how you can use your marketing to really influence your dream customers to make those decisions that you want with some psychological levers. I'll hand it back to George to go through more of the details, but just a note, we said mind tricks at the beginning. We're really not trying to do anything too manipulative with our dream customers. We're still trying to deliver value. We're still trying to be helpful. We're just pulling all the levers we can to deliver that value better. Yeah, it's a better sound grab, Kev, if we say mind tricks. But yes, listeners, at the core, we still want to say helpful. But look, when we talk about these psychological levers, I've read quite a lot around this area, and we have started to implement some of it in our own business. So we will have real examples to share with you guys, and it'll give you some ideas as to how you can implement it in your own business. But probably my favorite book in this area is Robert Caldini's famous book, Influence. Many of you have probably heard of it. It's a fantastic book. We're taking a lot of the key principles from that book. We're going to show you how you can work them into your marketing and give you examples. So over the next couple episodes, we're going to be talking about how you can use key principles like reciprocation, liking, social proof, authority, scarcity, and much more to your advantage. And don't worry, we're going to get into exactly what each of those are. Now, this is the stuff that big marketing agencies and companies always try and work into their advertising to drive the action that they want from people as much as possible. But... Kevin and I think that this just shouldn't be left to the big guys. There's plenty of opportunities for you as a smaller business to work these key principles into your marketing now too. It's just about knowledge. Once you have the knowledge, you can start to test these things straight away. And to any of those listeners out there who think a lot of this behavioral science stuff is all a bit hocus pocus, we promise you that it's all backed by extensive research. A lot of people have done a lot of very extensive research on this stuff. And if you think you aren't susceptible to it, I think we're probably all kidding ourselves. <laughs> we're definitely influenced by marketing, great marketing, as they say. You really don't notice it, but we're all definitely susceptible to these things. Okay, Kev, look, let's talk about why this stuff works, like why we can use behavioral science and try and have an impact on people. Look, we are all susceptible to what Caldini called fixed action patterns. Now, these are automatic behaviors that are triggered in response to specific stimuli. Like when a bull charges when it sees a matador's cape, we all have triggers that automatically activate specific behaviors. Now, if we know what those triggers are, then we can get humans to act in predictable ways. And a pretty cool experiment that shows how powerful these fixed action patterns are, Kev, is one that researchers ran with a mother turkey and its chicks. Now, mother turkeys, they're typically very nurturing to their chicks. However, this behavior is not simply driven by the sight of their chicks. Rather, it's primarily triggered by the cheap sound that the chicks make. Now, this sound acts as a reliable signal to the mother turkey that the small creature nearby is actually its offspring and not a threat or an enemy. Now, this is a classic example of a fixed action pattern. The chick's cheep acts as a trigger that activates the mother's nurturing instinct in the turkey. Now, Caldini shares this awesome experiment that really shows the power of this principle. And in this experiment, 
a stuffed polecat, which Kev, I'm not exactly sure what that is, but <laughs> apparently the polecat is the natural enemy of the turkey and the polecat is introduced to the mother turkey. So the mother turkey's immediate reaction should be to attack the intruder. But when that polecat was stuffed with a speaker that emitted a cheap sound, the mother turkey's behavior does a complete turnaround. And instead of it being super hostile, it became very nurturing, even though visually it's still confronted with what should be perceived as a threat. So look, this story isn't about humans care, but it really highlights the power of a single simple trigger that prompts a strong and automatic behavior or a fixed action pattern as Caldini calls it. Now, Despite the presence of that enemy there, the polecat, the cheap sound overrides the turkey's natural defense mechanism and triggers the mothering response. Now, this concept, it can be translated to human behavior too, I promise, especially where certain cues or triggers can lead to automatic and predictable responses. Now, for us in marketing and sales, understanding what these triggers are that can help us design strategies and tactics that really help us effectively influence those consumers' behaviors. And those triggers are really what we're looking at in the principles that we're talking about today and in the coming episodes. The first one we'll dig into is that principle of reciprocity, as George introduced earlier in the episode. So let's talk about that principle. Reciprocity is one of the very powerful principles to come from the influence book. This principle operates on a very deep-seated human and instinctual level. And basically, as the principle name suggests, there's an obligation that triggers within us to give back what we receive. In other words, if someone does something for you, nice, not nice, whatever it may be, you naturally want to do something back to them in a similar vein. Yeah, we don't like to owe people favors, Kevin. It's the same reason that I have this horrible guilt that my partner and I have been invited over to a friend's place for dinner twice, but we haven't yet found the time to have them back. We are in serious dinner debt and we want to get out of it right now. Actually, Kevin, <laughs> this Saturday, I've we put it in the diary. We're trying to clear some of our dinner debt. We've got some people coming over. Anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> that's a great example, George. And I think outside of our personal experiences, this is one that's quite universal across the board. We see a lot of these cases and examples in popular media as well. So the show Big Bang Theory, there's a couple of episodes where Sheldon really goes into this concept of gift giving, having to be the same and equal value. So it's a real struggle to give the right present. But outside of that case, outside of those fictitious cases, I'm sure all our listeners and ourselves included have experienced that when it comes to gift gifting. It's a great illustration of that principle of reciprocity. We want to give a gift that is on the same level as the gifts that we receive, whether that's equal value, equal sentimental value, monetary value, whatever it might be. We always want to naturally give something back of the same value or potential impact as we have been receiving. I love that. I love that. And look, let's look at another kind of story to further illustrate this principle of reciprocity, Kev. There was actually a really awesome experiment conducted by a sociologist called Philip Kunz. And during the holiday season, he sent out a surprise batch of 600 Christmas cards to total strangers. Now, these weren't just run-of-the-mill generic cards. They were warm, handwritten greetings with photos of his family, offering good wishes to the recipient and their family. Now, 
The really interesting part of this experiment wasn't just him sending out these invitations, but actually how these random recipients responded. So you would think that strangers receiving these cards from another stranger would be a little confused, maybe apprehensive, or just flat out ignore him, but that's actually not what happened. To Kunz's amazement, the holiday cards started pouring in response. So he ended up actually receiving around 200 responses, a return rate of approximately 33%, which is just wild. These strangers reciprocated the goodwill that they received, even though they didn't know Kunz personally and weren't obliged in any way to reply. It shows that this strong response really demonstrates that human instinct to reciprocate the perceived acts of kindness. One more example of this principle in practice, really that power of reciprocity is not just confined to our anecdotal evidence or some of these social experiments on humans or turkeys alike. It has certainly been very effective in several more formal studies and various business practice studies as well. For instance, in the restaurant environment, there's another study that provides really compelling evidence to prove this principle. So in this particular experiment, servers were asked to give patrons a single mint at the end of their meal with the check. In this scenario, the service saw that there was an increase of the tips by around 3% just from the simple act of giving a single mint with the check. On the face of it, that might appear to be a pretty small increment. But if you consider this against the rest of the restaurant industry where margins are super thin, tips constitute basically a very significant chunk of server income. And we're talking about the US market here, obviously very different in Australia where tipping isn't part of the culture. But in that case, in the US case where in fact, tips do make up a significant part of a server's income. That's really where that power comes in. When the server starts to give out two mints, the tips didn't just double from 3% to maybe 6%. They actually skyrocketed to increase to a whopping 14%. So from 3% with one mint to 14% with two mints. And then the researchers really took that experiment even further. So they took it up another notch. And this time the server would present a single mint with the check, start walking away from the table, pause, and then turn back and say, for you nice people, here's an extra mint. Guess what? The tips shot up by 23% in this scenario. So even though the customers still received two mints, as with the previous case, in the second scenario, because of the way it was presented by the servers, making it look like a very thoughtful gesture by the server, someone who'd really thought about the relationship and identified these really lovely customers, that made a significant difference in how the customers responded to that particular server and really upped the ante of the principle of reciprocity in these cases. Sorry to interrupt guys, but I need to let you know that our next cohort of the B2B Incubator is launching in February 2024. For those who don't know, the B2B Incubator is our no-fluff program that gives you the strategy, the templates, and the tools that you need to drive more revenue for your business, not just leads. It's built for small in-house marketing teams with limited time and budget. So if you're ready to act on all the advice that we give you and you want to start driving more revenue for your business, next time you sit down at your desk with a cup of coffee, remember to head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort. So apply now for our cohort launching in February 2024 so you don't miss out. The b2bincubator.com. Check it out. All right, back to the episode. Wild, wild. Look, a little mint goes a long way, but listeners, we're not telling you to go and send mints 
to all your potential customers, existing customers. Let's talk about how you can use this principle to improve your marketing, to improve your sales. So this is a really, really powerful principle. I actually think it's one of the most powerful that you can have in your toolkit. I think it starts by asking yourself, Kevin listeners, how can you just keep giving without the expectation of receiving back? You can give value in the form of free helpful content, free trials of a service, Kev, you and I, we would often send out gifts to our Dream 100 or important days like Christmas or other special days. For example, Kev, there was one particular venture capitalist who refers work to us. That wasn't always the case, but we know that she loves golf. So every Christmas, we would send her every, even every now and then, we would send her some golf balls just with a little note from us. And it really helped us stay top of mind. And what do you know, Kev? Anytime work comes across her desk, she tends to give us a call. It's just something to stay top of mind. We're using this principle of reciprocity. You can also use this tactically when doing account-based marketing, which we've gone into in depth before. We did a whole mini series on account-based marketing. And in that, we've detailed how marketers can get in front of key decision makers and influencers at target accounts by doing something like asking them to be on your webinar or podcast or just give them some kind of platform. Show the world that you think they're awesome. That then puts you in a terrific place to ask something back one day. Hey, while we're talking to you, maybe you can see if they're open to hearing more about how your business could help them or even just hear what our business does. Give first, receive later. And you don't really even have to ask a lot of the times. As we said, the principle of reciprocity really kicks in strongly by itself once you do that giving, once you remind them of your presence and you continue to give, people will want to give back naturally. Oftentimes, it helps to do the ask. It helps to get things started. But a lot of times, if you're doing the right things on the giving part, the receiving part will come by itself. And that's the beauty of that principle in action. And Kevin, in the past, we've spoken about how we've, I guess, used this principle to influence our dream customers even further. One of them we've spoken about is Tim Reed. And he was someone who we really wanted to get in touch with as part of our own Dream 100. The story that we tell is we found out that the guy loves ocean swimming. So we got off a pair of budgie smugglers printed off that were custom made that had the logo of his podcast printed on them, sent it off to him with a handwritten note. And what do you know, we had a great email back from him and developed a terrific beneficial relationship from there. Yeah, we do use that example a lot, George. Hopefully Tim isn't inundated with budgie smugglers in the near future because of our constant chatter about that tactic. But certainly he's a great friend to the show and we're very happy. That principle of reciprocity is working well there as well. Now, look, when potential customers receive something of value without any strings attached, just because of this principle, they naturally feel a sense of obligation to return the favor. That could result in beneficial actions from your dream customer's end, like sharing their contact details, subscribing to a newsletter, agreeing to a demo, or maybe even making a purchase. But the point is, in the long term, this principle can help build stronger, more loyal customer relationships. Give first, give something of real value, and set the stage for a reciprocal response that becomes ultimately a win-win for both parties. It's a great point to end on as we talk about this principle of reciprocity, listeners. 
it's coming back to that idea of being helpful. Remember, that's at the core of it. As you start to implement things that really lean into this idea and principle of reciprocity, know that a lot of the stuff that you've been doing by following the framework, by being helpful, is already in vain, in this vein. And it's important to keep that idea of being helpful in mind. You're looking for a win-win. You're not looking for a win for you and then somehow manipulating your dream customers to come back to you and do the action that you want without anything in return. You're looking for a win for them as well. So keep that in mind. All right, listeners, let's go on to the second principle that we're going to be talking about this episode, which is commitment and consistency. Yeah, Kev, this is another really fun concept. And it's all about how we humans have this very deep-seated urge to essentially walk our talk. So when we say something, we want our actions to match it. You could say it's our natural dislike for feeling out of sync or looking like a flip-flopper. We don't want to contradict things that we say. So once we commit to a decision or a viewpoint, we feel both internal and external pressure to behave consistently with that commitment. This drive really stems from our instinctive aversion to what is called cognitive dissonance, which is a state of mind where we hold contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values. Now, the principle of commitment and consistency can have a huge impact on people's behavior. And so that means, again, it becomes a potent tool for you marketers when we're trying to use it for persuasion and influence. I'm sure the term cognitive dissonance is very much in the natural vernacular of a lot of people, but let's go through a few stories and examples to really illustrate this principle of commitment and consistency. So one story that we came across to illustrate this principle is that back in the 60s, there was this really smart guy called Jonathan Friedman who ran a very neat experiment on this particular principle. He got a lot of volunteers to knock on doors in a California neighborhood asking the homeowners to put up a little three-inch sign in the window or car and it said, be a safe driver. It was a good cause and the sign was pretty inconspicuous, so quite a lot of people agreed to do this. Here's where things obviously got interesting as these things go. A couple of weeks later, another volunteer showed up at these homes and this time the ask was to install a much bigger and frankly quite ugly sign in front of the lawn which screams out, uh, drive carefully. Now, you'd think that most people would turn down the chance to plonk that, I guess, an eyesore in the beautiful front yards. It turned out that 76% of the people who agreed to put up the small sign also said yes to this big, much uglier one. But in contrast, when they made the same ask to a bunch of homeowners who hadn't been asked about that small sign earlier, only 17% agreed. Now, that's something to note, isn't it? That People who have said yes to a particular position, who have committed to it, will actually stick to it, even though the pressures around sticking to that view are changing. They feel this internal and external pressure to actually stick to that point of view of sticking to that message of driving carefully, telling others to be careful drivers and good drivers, even though it comes at a greater cost later on. I love how much these experiments just are designed to mess with people and just push how far <laughs> people will go. I think I would really like to be involved in them. But let's have a little bit of, a little bit of a deeper look into actually what's going on here. Look, that shows us right there the power of commitment and consistency. It's once you have said yes to a small request, especially one that aligns with a good cause or your values, then you feel roped into that. You find yourself saying yes to bigger related quests 
bigger related request because you want to stay true to your initial decision. Now, this is what salespeople and marketers often try and tap into. I don't know if you've heard, there's that foot in the door technique that a lot of salespeople use. You start with a tiny ask, something that's easy to agree to. And once that initial yes is secured, it really paves the way for a bigger yes and and another yes after that. And that's because saying yes to the small thing sort of nudges your self-image a little. So you're more likely to keep saying yes to stay in line with this new image of yourself. It's starting to sound a little like mind tricks, George, but let's remind our marketers how they can use this principle for good. So how can you use this principle? Well, you start small. Maybe you ask your potential customers to fill up a quick survey, potentially sign up to your newsletter or download a free ebook or content of good value. As long as it's connected to what you're offering and it actually adds value to your customers, remember to be helpful. Then I think that really sets you up to then take the next step with them. So once they take that first step, they've made a small commitment. Now you can follow up with ever-increasing bigger asks. Attend a webinar and scheduling a demo with them or talking further with them about their pain points or even trying to offer a free trial to your product or service. With each of these steps, their commitment deepens and they're more likely to end up buying your product or service. And this looks a lot like what we're trying to build a lot of the times when we're doing that nurture process. We're being helpful and then we're nurturing those relationships by offering continued value for your dream customers, for the customers that you're targeting. So it's not a hard sell here. You're just gently guiding your potential customers along the decision-making process and journey and along the way, giving them as much value as possible to really see the value that you can drive, to really see the value of your product or service. And that is effectively the beauty of understanding and using this principle of commitment and consistency. Yeah, I guess the goal here is with each step, with each yes that you get, you want to move them up the value chain, try and get a bigger and bigger yes out of them. Now, Kev, you and I could probably have a cheaper paid offering that's an entry to the B2B incubator, right? Like our program, the B2B incubator is priced at two and a half grand. And we're asking marketers to make the jump from our free content to that price point. But you and I have discussed introducing something cheaper, like a $49 mini course to just try and get a micro commitment from our dream customers, get them spending money with us, deliver a ton of value in return for it. And then we know that they're going to be much more comfortable and likely to progress up our value chain and purchase one of our higher ticket items. And certainly it's things that we're testing in the background, but always keeping in mind that we want to be helpful. I think in the end, we ended up offering a free sample of the course, a preview of the course instead. And you can find that at the b2bincubator.com. Different things of value that, again, still stick to that principle of offering value and moving them up the value chain while delivering value and insight into how much we can help our dream customers so that hopefully one day, when they're in the right place and it's the right offering for them, they'll commit to the B2B incubator as well. That's it. It's all about micro commitments and it's getting them to do things that will benefit them and they want to do anyway. You just need to remove the pain for them. You need to make it as easy as possible. Well, George, it's always fun to talk about these mind tricks, uh, if you will, uh, in quotation marks, of course. But takeaways for this episode There are these principles that you can use in marketing to make it more likely that your customer will take the actions that you want them to. Just like we talked about with the mother turkey automatically taking care of anything that sounds like its baby chick chirping, 
you and your dream customers are also susceptible to these sort of principles. The first principle that we covered in this episode was the principle of reciprocity, which is giving something to get something in return. It's why we feel the need to return a favor when someone does something nice for us. When you think about the principle of reciprocity, think back to that example of the server giving your mint at the end of your meal. It's all about giving value without expecting anything back in return straight away. The second principle that we talked about was that of commitment and consistency which is all about us humans making sure that we stay true to our words, stay true to our point of view that we've committed to initially. We have a desire to be consistent, to be seen as consistent, to not create cognitive dissonance in our actions and our thoughts. Marketers can tap into this by making small requests to begin with to establish that point of view in our dream customers and then gradually making them bigger along the way as we show them more value adds in their buying journey. And in doing so, guiding customers step-by-step through the decision-making without making a hard sell. Very good. Thank you, Kevin. Dan, that was fun. I can't wait to do the next couple of episodes and cover some more of these behavioral science, mind trick, whatever we want to call it, principles. Okay, listeners, look, as always, you can find links to everything Kevin and I discussed in the show notes. We're so grateful that each week more and more marketers tune in every Monday to the B2B Playbook. And if we can ask one thing, it would be to please pass the show on to someone who you think would get value from it. Also, make sure you check us out on YouTube. It's a huge help to us and we'd really, really appreciate it. Subscribe, comment, all those things. Thank you, Kev. Thank you, listeners. Take care and see you next week. Thanks, George. Thank you, listeners. See you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.